Hi everyone! If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Audio. This is actually, I guess, Four Colors Red audio, the very first of its kind. Um, we are starting our production of the audio version, or the audio portion, while we're still working on the text version of uh, our comics imprint here at No Cartridge. Um, and as our first guest, we have the um, illustrious Pete. Uh, Pete, I don't know. Do you? I can't recall. Do you go by Podside Pete on Podside Picnic, or is it uh, Pete Johansson? Well, there? I, I. I, I haven't hidden my name, so yeah, I'm definitely Pete Johansson, but I do call myself Podside Pete most of the time. Yeah, yeah I couldn't remember. I'm bad with, like, introduction parts. I, I zone those out. Um, but although uh, on a recent After Dark, uh, Olivia and I both said that um, yours was one of the only recent pod. Well, that's not true. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but Liv was saying that uh, yours was the podcast she listened to, and uh, it was the only one we had in common. That and uh, Comedy Bang Bang. So I, I'm looking forward to your rise to Earwolf fame I'm, soon. All right. Well, all we need to do is start finding a mattress company that will sponsor us, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> I know several. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Pete, you're here You're here as part of a backer reward system, but I would have had you on anyway. Um, you have a great – let's just like get this out of the way at first because I'd like to. You have a great um, uh, podcast of your own called Podside Picnic. Um, what's that about? Sure. Well, um I have a co-host, uh, Connor Southard, also a friend of the show, and uh, the is it Southard? You know, it is Southard, but I always do Southard, and he hasn't called oh. me out on it. No, see, I always thought it was. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I was like, oh no, am I getting no, it wrong? You did it right, and the only way I figured it out was like a week ago. I called this voicemail. Oh yeah, yeah there you go. Which I should have done earlier, apparently. Anyway. A uh, conceit of the show is I'm a guy who spent decades and decades reading science fiction, and Connor's someone who's trying to come to grips with science fiction as a writer. And so we're sort of working together through the canon, discussing the books, trying to figure out what he likes and doesn't like, and arguing a lot. And so far, it's been a big success, I think. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, and and you're, you're already on Dune Month, which, I mean, honestly... If there's any sort of indication that the podcast has staying power, it's that you got to and then read Dune. Yes, yes. And it's amazing how pe interested people are in there. You know, we should mention you've been on the show 
Uh, you've oh yeah, I have been on the show. I was on a premium <laughs> episode. I like I tend to bury the lead when it comes to me being on things. But yes, I was on a sh- I was on an episode talking about Adorno with Connor. Right, right. And uh, I wasn't there because if I talked about Adorno, I would expose myself for the fraud that I am. So. <laughs> You know what? We're all frauds. It's just that you don't want to expose yourself. Exactly, because I'd be arrested. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's going very well, I think. And like, it really, um, you're keying into some of like the the texts that I think are some of my favorite in in sci-fi now. And it was it started off with a little bit more obscure, although I think you started with a Le Guin or a Butler. Um, mm-hmm. But now that you're getting into Dune, I am I'm right there with you. Awesome, yeah. It's it's sort of amazing watching it grow because I, I did a, a podcast before that was sort of based on uh, Victorian authors, and that just, yeah, it was a cool podcast. Yeah, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. But it's uh, like people people don't engage with Victorian authors like they do with Frank Herbert, you know. And so so getting you, that sort of you know what you're right, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you do a games co- podcast, you totally get it. Yeah, I mean, well, I did stuff that people didn't engage with before a games podcast, so I, I totally get yeah. It. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's it's good stuff. People should listen to it, and uh, and I uh, we're proud friends of the of uh, of Podside Nation here at, at No Cartridge. Yeah. Um, well, but today we're actually oh, go really ahead. quickly. Do you know you know what what claim we have frequently made on the air about you? Oh, that in fact uh, the podcast would not exist were it not for correct. Me. We were introduced by you, and uh, honestly, I, we we wouldn't have ever become friends, so the podcast <laughs> wouldn't have happened. So thank you, Connor. I'll see, oh yeah, you're welcome. It's, it's us uh, and Street Fight that you've started so far. Well, I didn't start Street Fight. I just started Street Fight on their road to riches. There you go. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Brian and Brett are 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 the humblest of humblest of souls. Um, no, I'm 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 very proud of both. And and in fact, I was able to tell that story live at a Street Fight thing. Brian had me up and was like, like talked about how I convinced him not to go to grad school. One of my proudest moments. <laughs> he saved saved a fellow traveler. Um, but today we're talking about uh, well, I guess it's sci-fi in a sense. It, it's that it's that bridge, right, between sci-fi and, fa- and fantasy, um, which is why they get all the money. Uh, we're going to be talking about comic books, and um, specifically, we're going to be talking about adaptations of comic books. Now, this is fascinating. What you told me to do, and I'm going to tell everyone else to do this too. Um, Google uh, just for the sake of this episode, and you can click through while we talk. Um, you know, television series based on comics. And you'll find a Wikipedia article, and then you'll find, like, a number of, um, uh, basically a number of pages where, like, they're talking about all the, the listings. It's it's like a version of that uh, list of famous ducks uh, joke <laughs> that you can look up the, the Wikipedia for the list of famous ducks, which is a great Wikipedia. Um, but uh, it's, it's for these things that actually existed. And, Pete, you were saying that they tell you a story, and I find your explanation very compelling. So I'm going to have you give it again. Okay, great. Uh, well, let's just, I'll, uh, let's see, I will click on Marvel. So okay, great. when you click on the, on the Marvel, uh, uh, set of, of comics that have turned into television shows, the first thing you see is a series of, well, I was there for them, so I can say this, crappy <laughs> live action TV shows from the seventies. <laughs> 
Now, come on. The Incredible Hulk had that walking away yeah, moment. Yeah, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yeah, well, I mean, I loved them <laughs> as a kid. and They had Lou Ferrigno, and how awesome was that? But the point was, like, there was no, like, they literally had to t- use two guys and, like, stop the film and put the other guy there and paint him green. <laughs> there, there was, there was right. no good special effects, basically. And so, like, all of these were, like, the most human heroes you can find, and most of what you watch is them in human moments. So, like, all the Spider-Man television shows were basically about Peter Parker, with maybe, like, a quick scene of somebody climbing a wall where you can clearly see the strings attached. (laughs) I mean, that's that's what the comics were about, too. Like, I feel like... At their core, most of the comics, especially through the 90s, were about Peter Parker. Like, there were incidental Spider-Man moments, but especially in Marvel comics, that live-action stuff kind of worked. Because, I mean, worked as much as it can. That's a good argument, actually. So, I, it's, I guess maybe, like, the child in me, what I, what I remember is him flipping around and fighting the Green Goblin. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, most of the comics yeah. were about personal angst. Uh yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Like, the kid remembers the fights between the villains, but, like, I think, like, if you actually read the comics now, it's just, like, Peter's dealing with his girlfriend, or Peter's dealing with a friend who's in trouble, or Peter's dealing with his job, and then there'll be, you know, eight or nine pages of Spider-Man action, and then you'll go back to the cliffhanger, which is, you know, will Peter keep his job? Right. Um, and they're great comics, but, like, yeah, that's that's what it that's what it is. Yeah. So, did just out of curiosity, did you ever read Marvel Zombies? Oh, did I read Marvel Zombies? Um, man, I'm like having a memory of reading it. Well, and like I'm picturing it, but I don't think I, I can't call any of the content to mind. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I don't recommend it to anyone. But well, one of the things, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why I can't call any content. Probably, but like Peter Parker as a zombie was hilarious because like he was an undead killing machine until he got to eat enough to eat, and then he started angsting about what he was doing. Oh, yeah, sure, of course. So, I mean, they were just sort of doing a whole send-up of what he was. Well, the whole thing was a series of send-ups, but that really hit me. Um, Oh, going... Oh, absolutely. Going back to my point, sorry. Uh, So, from the the 70s, you have a large skip to the 2000s, and there's just a little bit there. It's like Blade. It's things where you could use practical special effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, uh... Mutant X, which I don't remember at all. Yeah, like, when um, did that happen? <laughs> it was that three series. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Yeah, and I guess, like, in the DC one, there's, there's you know, your Smallville's. Um, there's actually, I find the DC one to actually be also quite interesting. Wow, there was a Malibu Comics one. Nightman had a series? That's incredible. Wow. Yeah, so. Powers had a series? I'll pop over to DC and take a look. Did you realize this? Did you know Powers had a series? Did you ever read that? No, I didn't. Oh, that's that's uh, that's an early... Um, who wrote that one? That's an early Bendis comic. Uh, one of his best. It's about... Uh, it's basically about... Um, well, here. Uh, in a world where superheroes called Powers exist, a former power has reinvented himself as a homicide detective after his own powers were taken from him. So, like, basically, it's just a police procedural about uh, superheroes. Um Wow, I'm very surprised they had a series. Yeah, that's um, really. Cool. Oh, it was very bad. Apparently, that's. Why. Oh, fair enough. 
Well, the comic's good. Go read that. But <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things. Like a lot of these. I mean, uh, like DC. Like I'm I'm that guy. DC and Marvel has never really been the center of the wheel for me. But there's some great stuff there. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, somewhere around 2012, 2014, something happens. And I'm not really sure what that something is, but I've got some theories about it. What, I was like, are you being coy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it has something to do with the combination of cheap special effects and effective uh, CGI, but it might just be um, like marketing execs our age got to the point where they could make decisions. But mm. suddenly they started picking up uh, all of the comic franchises they could and just rushing them to production. I mean, like I'm looking at DC right now and I see Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Krypton, DC Daily, Titans, <laughs> Doom Patrol. It's crazy. Well, and I also, I mean, I think the real thing that happened was you got the movie boom. I mean, that's like, that's just post-Avengers, and I think people were just all of a sudden realized, like, hey, we can actually make money off of this. Yeah. They probably had it in mind when they were thinking about Smallville, and you see, like, a couple of early stabs at it, right? Like, uh, Birds, of Pre well, Birds of Prey is actually, that's a weird early stab, but then Human Target is the one I remember have coming on, and I was thinking, oh, I like the Human Target character, that's cool. Um, and it flopped because it wasn't ready but then by 2014 when gotham comes out well there you go or arrow or flash or whatever like the arrow versus 2012 mm -hmm. i mean it's just like it's i think it's the movies i think it's like honestly like people got superhero fever that makes sense and uh i mean though as i as i think about this stuff uh historically uh Comics were in this weird, isolated island all by themselves because they weren't right. like they weren't considered books, but they couldn't really be effectively transferred to any other medium because you could do things in a comic that you couldn't do anywhere else. Yeah, I remember when I was growing up, like the you could read the back back pages of like a Marvel comic, and it would be like the and this would be like the I was probably reading comics that had this in, like, the mid to late 90s. And, like, they would have little blurbs in the back that would be, like, you know, update on the Spider-Man movie or update on this. And, like, things would be in production, but they'd be, like, these sort of, like, veiled, hidden ideas or whatever. And whenever it actually happened, like, it would be a flop. Like, the Punisher movie or the Captain America movie. <laughs> um, they just they didn't work. Yeah. Um, but you, you'd get these things. I remember when the Spider-Man movie, the first uh, Sam Raimi one, came out. Like I was like midnight showing. I was like super amped about that. I bought like pre-order tickets. Um, I think before that was like, well, I guess it was post Matrix, so it wasn't. But like, you know, like I was really into it because, and in part because, like that was finally they were coming through on that promise that they'd made of like, there's gonna be a movie someday. There's gonna be a movie someday. It felt like finally someone made, like, the super console that I had been <laughs> hoping for right. when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, and I always have this mixed thing. Like, do, do you remember when you were younger and you were, like, the first person to see a song on MTV or hear it on the radio or something, and then everybody else caught up to you? Yes, I I was, I was definitely... Um, I was like a, I was really into punk and hardcore. Okay. Um, and, and so, like, I was kind of like a scene kid in that way where, like, I would... 
I would constantly be searching out bands no one had heard of, and the fewer people that had heard the band, the better for me. Like, I would be happier about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It took a long time to break that. But yeah, I absolutely, I felt very, very protective of my interests. Well, I was was super glue in my hair industrial, so I know what you're talking about. You know, skinny puppy, that sort of thing. I can't believe it. I... It's amazing to think about. What be with super glue? <laughs> well, yeah, no, you just you with you you yeah you looking like fully industrialed out. Yeah, I mean, I I was it absolutely dropped me in the poser category, but I believed, you know. No, I mean you had the you put super glue in your hair. That's serious. <laughs> it's like uh, I remember the real punks used to put glue or uh, toothpaste in their hair to make liberty spice. Yeah, um, you know, my hair was always curly, so I just grew it out. But, uh, but yeah, no, the Liberty Spikes, like, with toothpaste, I remember that being a thing. And when people did that, I was like, well, I mean, you can't call them that much of a poser. Yeah, that's, that's mud. You're rubbing mud on your skull. Yeah, that's right. Crazy. Okay. It's not good for it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know that. <laughs> it's like health tips, folks. Health <laughs> tips. Don't put mud on your skull. Okay, so anyway, uh... One of the things, like on the one hand, uh, I don't trust my biases when we talk about this stuff because like on one level, like all of this comic lore and all of this stuff that I've collected, like I'm within like 15 feet of a shelf full of comics. And, you know, the, the idea that all of these things have like are completely in the public eye right now like there's a a police procedural based upon lucifer like the right. the walking dead comics have now turned into like a a 300 year epic like all of these things happening i'm glad and i'm really pissed off yeah i can understand that i mean this is like this is a similar thing that happened with with uh with video games where like you got um What's his name? Uh, the guy who did Vanilla Wow, who uh, Mark Kern, oh, saying God. like, you know, like <laughs> we were bullied and now and now we're cool all of a sudden. Um, and you you think you can be part of this now that you like you bullied us in high school? Um, and you know, I made made fun of him, and I believe he was right to be made fun oh, of. Yeah. But please like, please continue. It's yeah, no, of course. But like, it is also a ridiculous thing to say. Like, it's it's absurd to be like, hey, look, like. This thing's popular now and people like it. You can't just get mad at them for that. It happens in sports, too. Like, people get mad at bandwagon fans. Like, if you start liking a team, probably you start liking them because they're doing good at that time. Um, It's not going to help if someone yells at you and asks, like, you know, if you started liking the the Golden Knights, Pete. uh, That is a great analogy right there, man. Because, like, they've been around, what, two years? And I know people with, like, tattoos of the Golden Knights. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you'd probably find people who got, like, super angry with them, with people who got those tattoos, because they're like, well, you never liked hockey before. Like, you weren't there for, like, you don't don't know anything about real hockey. And on a certain level, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Golden Knights fans are in a lot of ways, like, very new to the whole scene. In another way, like, who cares? Like, why did, why, it's just all hockey. Like, yeah. just let them enjoy the game. You enjoy it. Like, just, you know, let it go. Well, God forbid people get excited about an exciting team, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, I think, like, ultimately, 
ultimately the secret is people just want you to have to suffer like they have. Mm. Like the suffering is part of the buy-in. So like if, if some kid is born now and they have, you know, or some kid comes of age now and they have 60 Marvel movies to watch, when I had, you know, a VHS of the bad movies that I just like didn't want to watch but kind of did because I had to. Sure. Like that's that feels wrong. It feels like, well, you didn't suffer for this. Like you didn't have to, to deal with all this garbage before you got your good stuff. Um, but then again, I mean like, why should that matter? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think, I think it's okay to have those feelings, like so many feelings that are questionable because it has to be okay. Like we have those feelings. It's what you do at that point. Like people who are enjoying, like, I don't know, Jessica Jones on Netflix, that's awesome. I mean, like, yeah. th- think of the exposure. Maybe that makes money go into some uh, some writer's pocket even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Not hugely likely, granted, but, like, you can dream. <laughs> you, you can dream, that's true. Yeah, so I d- but no, I mean you're right. Like it, there, there's benefits to it, right? Like there, there are things that that, and I mean more more likely than not that you're just saying like, okay, maybe a writer doesn't get paid, but some kid is gonna like get into comics because of this, and then like it will be cool for them. Um, it's this. I mean, it's the same thing about getting mad because like girls are reading comics. It's like right. you know, it's fine. Like let them read comics and let them enjoy it. Like I don't know it. There's a lot that goes wrong when people try to legislate fandom. Um, and I think, you know, I'm guilty of it, too. And I try not to be. Uh, and I think I'm guilty of it, especially with these movies, because it's like, man, I don't care what you see in these movies. I remember Thanos not being a cool villain. Right. <laughs> That's what oh, I remember. He's a dork. He's got a, he's got a yeah, chin no one liked thumbs. Him. It's disgusting. Yeah, who cares? Um, and now he's real cool. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's how it goes. Like, that's that's just, that's the progression of time. So, having disclosed my biases and explored them with you, can I talk to you? I'm glad you did. Can I talk to you about what I'm scared about? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, let me think of a good example. Have you ever read King City? No. Shit. Okay, let me think of another good example then. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. I'm, that's fine. I'm usually good for these things, uh, but that was one I just did not know. Oh, uh, shoot. Prometheus. Yes, I've read okay. Prometheus. So, um, imagine that as Prometheus was being written, Alan Moore knew for certain there was a very good chance it would be picked up by... Netflix as a primetime show. Okay. Do you think he might have made different decisions about the way the story went? Well, okay, maybe Alan Moore's a bad example. <laughs> he probably I, I think the question would I think the question with him would be would he um intentionally tank the series so that it could not <laughs> Okay. I think that's probably more but I understand what you're saying, and like I actually I have a I have this inkling that this is already happening where like people are basically um, people are basically like writing or being asked to write stories with movies and TV in mind. Yeah. Right. Like the idea is, OK, yeah, you you will write this arc and it's going to be about this thing that we think is going to be viable for a movie down the line. Um, I think that's absolutely happening. And it bums me out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's doing real 
well, I think it could. I'm talking out of my ass, of course, but I think <laughs> it's doing damage to the genre. Like some of my be- favorite stories, and I like, for example, I mentioned King City. I love that story with all my heart, and I know Graham is problematic as hell, but like, I, I I don't know what to do with that. Maybe that's a discussion for another time. But like King City or the Filth or the invisibles yeah. there are all of these uh there are all of these comic series that are would be completely bizarre on TV and i well and might not get made because of TV right like there's there's like there there are instances where you're ta- where you're thinking about a comic series and you're like you know would would you get those weird experimental kirbys if TV was a thing well probably not cuz you're not going to like what, are you going to green light Devil Dinosaur? You're going to green light, like, no, of right. course you're not. Or you're going to, you know, it's not as if, like, I think the the, the thing is, it's not, a, it's not about, like, hugging the old comics and saying, like, I want my old comics back and I don't like the way comics are going. It's worrying about, like, well, what doesn't get made in a world that is strictly concerned with putting something up on the small or big screen? Yes, Yes, I, I totally agree with that. Ooh, ooh, I've got another good example. Uh, ooh, ooh, listen okay. to me. Um, have you been watching <laughs> The Boys? You know, I haven't. I've been. People have kept telling me to watch The Boys. I am not a Garth Ennis fan. I don't like Garth Ennis very much. Um, I read, I read all of Preacher. Okay, I liked Preacher just fine um, at the time. Sure. I don't know how I'd like it now. I, um, I don't feel it holds up, but like, what do I know? Yeah, I mean, I. I buy that. Um, I found his. I, I like. I remember when uh, Stan Lee got in a lot of trouble because he said that uh, Ennis's Fury wasn't good. Like it wasn't like how he wanted Marvel Comics to be because it had vulgarity and curses and violence and stuff. Sure. And I read it and I was like, yeah, I have to. I have to agree with Stan Lee. <laughs> like, this just. It, and it's not even about like the vulgarity. Like I love Deadwood and like sure. you know I love The Wire. I, I, I mean, I listen to all sorts of incredibly vulgar and in poor taste music um, through my childhood and teen years. It's not as if, like, my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, maybe my favorite comedy of all time is Blazing Saddles. Like, I don't care about language. Sure. But that book was just totally inelegant. And that's kind of how I started thinking about Ennis. I I have read bits of his Punisher that I've liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Most of Ennis just totally doesn't do it for me. So I was worried about the boys, but people really seem to like it. And one of the things, like, a lot, they put a lot of effort into it, clearly, but yeah. one of the things I noticed, like, if you if you, if you you're reading the comic while you're watching the show, and God help us all, I have done this. <laughs> uh, Pete, love yourself. <laughs> Don't do this to yourself. But it was... It, it's it's very clear that there are people from the studio in the room making decisions. Mm. It's like this is okay, too rapey. We need a cut scene. That kind of thing. Okay. And it, yeah. Like, that's not necessarily like like do, do I want to see a bunch of Garth Ennis rapiness? Well, no, not personally. But but the fact is the choices are being made are different ones, and the reason they're be, they're different is. Uh, well, because the capital is talking. Yeah, not because like I, I see what you're saying. Like it's not, it's not a matter of like making a choice based on like a moral or ethical position. Like if you were making the choice and saying like 
I really don't want to depict this. I don't think it's worth depicting on the screen. I think it adds nothing. I think it was frivolous. All that, like, I mean, that's defensible. That's that's adaptation. That's like, you know, one of the reasons that, that I think this is resonating more with people is because it takes out some of that stuff. And like, if you're arguing that from an from an aesthetic point of view, or an, or even like a cultural point of view, any kind of point of view, that isn't just well, this will this won't put butts in the seats. Like, that's not that seems very very. Um, well, I'll put it another way, like, that can be flipped very, very easily yeah. um, in a way of saying, like, okay, yeah, we're going to take that out, and we're also going to, like, uh, we're going to do, uh, I'm trying to think of a good adaptation, it, the version of this. Oh, you know, like, we'll do we'll do an adaptation of Bone. Um, Ooh. But all of... Sorry. Uh, which I would yeah, love. Yeah, I, I, I know, would watch I know. the I, crap out of that. I would very much like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, any of the people smoking, like, pipes in the village, uh, we, we have to take that out because tobacco is not good. Like little things like that, yes. and maybe that wouldn't. Maybe the cigar, the dragon smoking, like you know, maybe that wouldn't affect things. But then you start getting further in, and you're like, well, you know, we're gonna uh, we're gonna reboot Heroes for Hire uh, on TV, but uh, we're gonna take out the racial politics, or like you know, there, there's stuff that's like that's very, or like if they did Jessica Jones without any of the race stuff, oh, like yeah. that. You could see that happening. They didn't, but like maybe if they made it now, they would, and so like. It's not so much the stuff they take out of the boys. Like, I think that's good not to have rapey stuff on TV. Oh, sure. But it's also for not a good reason. Like, it's not the reason of, yeah, because you shouldn't have it. It's just the reason of, well, what's what's the Q score on this? What are people going to think? Right. Well, another example of something in the boys in, in the comics, well... Uh, I, can I do a spoiler? God, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, no, spoiler alert. People have been asking me this a lot, um, and and th- not that you're bad for asking me this. Uh, it is it is okay. But the um, I, I will say my policy on spoilers uh, is you can always spoil me on something. I don't mind. Um, and then I'll just say there's, like, a brief spoiler, so skip ahead, like, two minutes or whatever. Okay. So um, the reason in the boys that anybody has superpowers is like the the Nazis developed a super drug and started injecting people with it, babies specifically. Okay. And so um, in in the comics, the boys, sort of this black ops bag squad, get a hold of this substance and start shooting it themselves to give them a certain level of parity with these evil heroes to take them out. Okay, got it. Um, Makes sense. In in the show, at least in the first season, they don't take it at all. Hmm. So, like, they're basically trying to outsmart the heroes, and they aren't. Well, you know, they 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 aren't they aren't interacting with the drug in any any way, except hey, we could use this to expose them. The public will hate that they're drug addicts. And like, is that was that a plot line in the series at all? Was that something that the series dealt with? Like they they kind of like thought about ways not to use the drug at first, or is this well totally out of whole? It's kind of whole cl- out of like I I don't own the whole series. At some point, they might have done that, but certainly ten twenty <laughs> right. comics in, that's not the vibe. In fact, huh. the main. And I use the word hero loosely. The main hero sure. <laughs> um, sort of injects one of the other guys with this stuff on the sly when he refuses to do it. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So it really is like it really is a ver- very much a um, that's interesting. So like that is like something that's taken out in 
I mean, plausibly because they don't want to deal with issues around drugs. Drug oh use, yeah, like are we going to have being a accused bunch of glorifying of, it? Or yeah, like uh, are we going to have a bunch of heroes who are junkies? How's that going to look? Yeah, right. <sighs> that's really uh, you know. It's it's funny. I can't decide whether I think that's like more of a problem for adaptation or whether it's more of a problem to say something like, well, you know, do we want a bunch of heroes who are junkies is one thing, but is it worse even? And maybe it's not, but like maybe it is worse even to say like, yeah, we're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff from the um, the FCC if we show them taking drugs and yeah. it's going to force like a higher rating and we're not going to be able to market it in the way we want. Um, so we got to take that out. It's like it's a weird it's a weird thing. I mean, because TV is so well, may, I mean, I guess not in the wild west of Amazon or uh, Netflix. So it's a little strange that they pushed that there. But I mean, TV is so regimented, like it's so like carefully pushed through a system of money and patronage and making sure that like the producers are getting a say. Like, that's just always been the way it's been. And I think, like, when it's just goofy stuff like Lois and Clark, that's one thing. Right. When it's stuff that's trying to do, like, serious work, um, that's kind of another. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, well, and, and, like, when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking sort of about two sets of properties. And mm-hmm. property one is Disney. And property two is everybody else. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 a very weird thing to look at because one of the things I I don't I don't know. I'm still conflicted on whether having uh, Disney own the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a good thing or a bad thing, because like the fact is that the movies have gotten better as a result. I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> like them, but they've figured out the formula to get butts and seats, and they're doing it again and again and again. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, they, you can't deny that they are extraordinarily profitable. Yeah. I just... I don't like the idea that they can figure out a formula and treat... Uh, Black Panther like a product being sold mm-hmm. and figure out like I, it almost seems like all of those movies are procedurally generated okay like yeah I can see yeah, that yeah I mean it's like they, they figured out well we need the these many moments of vulnerability <laughs> we need this this many times where the guy breaks bad uh, we've got to have humor at this point, this point, this point, and we're going to have all 40 people each write 20-minute blocks or whatever it is they do. But it <laughs> feels so bloodless. Like, there's no risk. Like, Avatar, don't get me wrong, Avatar sucked ass, but it sucked ass in a way where one creative guy went for it and lost, and I don't feel like that's what's happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think the the one thing that about the Marvel Cinematic Universe too is it it peppers in enough where like there's it's again like I, I'm trying to unpack like this 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 thought about like you know basically doing uh, progressive things for the sake of making more money. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's not a new thing to unpack. This is something that people have been thinking about a long time. But like, 
there's there's this way that you know um I'm trying to think of a good example. Like what you were talking about with the boys, like that's not a bad result, the way that the boys is, is changed. In the way that, you know, like that T'Challa is like a big member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, probably bigger than he ever has been in the Marvel actual universe. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. Um the fact that there is like um like actually sort of like serious attention being paid to um, some of like the cultures and and uh, ethnicities of the heroes themselves, not a bad thing. The fact that you know like Miles Morales made it in, or um, that you know there are more women in, uh, represented in Marvel movies. Again, like all very good. But the question just becomes like you, you remember in um, in Endgame where uh, one of the producers played a, quote unquote the first gay character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No. Remember that whole kerfuffle at all? Okay, so there's a brief scene, and they said, like, we finally have a gay character in, in, in here. Um, and I, I think, like, it's, like, Captain America after... I haven't watched these movies, so please, you know, if I get the details wrong, uh, someone yell at me. It's all good. It's the only way I can feel anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, basically, Captain America's running a, a support group for people whose, like, friends or family got disappeared. Um and uh, this guy is talking about his partner disappearing, and he, it's, he, it's it's another man, and like they're a gay couple. Uh, I forget if they're married or not, but they're partners, um, and clearly sort of like long term partners. It's like a really really huge loss, um, and uh, it was seen as like this big deal. And then people were like, "Well, I don't know if it's that big a deal. Like it was just like some random guy. Yeah, uh, we don't. You know, there's no." There's no indication that um, it's no indication that any of the heroes are gay. This is just some guy who shows up in one scene and leaves. And then it was revealed that it was one of the two like major producers of the movie making a cameo as the the token gay guy. Um, and he's not gay himself. Not that it really like I don't know if that really factors in it or not. I don't know. Um, for for some people, I'm sure it did. For some people, it didn't. That doesn't really resonate for me. But. The fact that it was one of the two producers, the fact that it was just this thing, this throwaway thing, and it had got so much attention and so much media, like, that was a moment where I was like, they're just selling. They realize that they can do the progressive thing and are selling it, um, which is a bad feeling because you have to be like, that's not okay. And you have to then parse it by saying, like, I'm not saying being progressive is not okay. <laughs> I'm saying that this version of it. The the results are good. The motive is bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, in some ways I'm being full of it here, but I, I think there's a point to be made. Uh, we're in the middle of a culture war right now. and Huh? Yeah, I, <laughs> slow down, <laughs> man. <laughs> but, uh, like, suppose it became more profitable... For the Marvel Cinematic Universe to promote white nationalism, uh, right? What like what would Disney do? And I would argue, as somebody with a finance background, that Disney would represent its shareholders. Yeah, or that would be the excuse it would say anyway. Yes, yes. I mean, like they have been historically very good over the years at tacking with the cultural winds in a way that makes them fe seem very progressive. And I mean, like, good for them. Like, whether they're a real ally or not, like, 
I want more progressive things, but like they are a company <laughs> right. and they would happily scoop out my brain with a melon baller if it th- they thought they'd make money off of doing that. <laughs> they probably could if they got the right melon baller. That sounds like a that sounds like a winning plan. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, and, and I'm sure one of your fans will have suggestions on how to make this happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, please uh, call in. Uh, we, <laughs> we need that sweet, sweet Disney money. That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> but no, you're right. Like the, I think the problem is like I, I was actually talking with uh, someone today, and they were saying that, you know, um, they were talking to someone at a Disney park, and turned out that like the person at the Disney park made no money and they learned a little bit later. And this is just like a a normal person, like a a person I know, like another parent from the pool. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like I was on Twitter talking to a fellow leftist, uh, although they might be left. I don't know, but it's not like, you know, I was, I I was like talking to avatar of Mao or something like that. Right. Um, But the, you know, the, she was saying that the, um, the granddaughter of, not Walt Disney, but his brother, who I guess helped run the business end of things, mm-hmm. um, uh, Tim Disney or something along those lines. Um, <laughs> I don't know why Craig that's Disney. so funny. Yeah, no, just <laughs> there's so many names that are good. There's uh, <laughs> Leopold Disney. Yeah, it's, um, it's great. Uh, but the you know he um, she rather the the granddaughter did. Um, and grand niece of uh, Walt Disney, like went undercover as a, an employee because, of course, no one would know what she looks like. I don't know what she looks like. Sure. Um, and she's she's not she doesn't have any power in the company anymore, but she makes her money off of it. She's an heiress. Um, makes in as many scare quotes as you could possibly imagine. Um, but she um, she sent a letter to Bob Iger, whoever happened to be the CEO at the time, uh, saying like, "Hey, like this is not what my you know." Uh, great uncle wanted he would be disgusted by the use by like the way that you are treating these people um, and we both agreed like yeah no it's it's fine like I think I think it would be okay if the Disney people struck which is funny I think like Disney World being the only place you could probably get a lot of um, white middle aged suburban people to agree with you that like striking would be okay like yeah. if they struck it might be the happiest place on earth again like Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I do know somebody from the, oh, my God, it must have been very early 90s, who got uh, fired from one of the Disney properties for not smiling. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah, it's a requirement of the job. That terrifies me. So, yeah, I mean, like, somebody should organize those people. Yeah, apparently there's, like, that's that's something that people have been talking about. Like, apparently that's in the news and, and it might happen. They might strike, so... You know, that'll be interesting to watch. But, like, what I find interesting about the the letter coming from that woman is this has also been something that Disney has been so good at, which is this idea of Walt Disney's um, legacy and what he wanted, right? Like, there's the there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of anti-union stuff with Walt Disney that is explained one way or the other. There's, like, a lot of, like, it, it's fraught in a number of ways. But I think what comes through with Walt Disney is this um, image of someone who wanted, and especially now after people have been writing these books, this image of someone who wanted like a a park where people could go and like commune with their families and 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 really give into imagination, have a break from the from the world. It was supposed to be far away from like civilization. There was supposed to be cabins and stuff. And I don't know how true that is, but like it is something that is so so 
I don't know, embedded in the world that it's like, you know, his granddaughter or his grandniece can write that letter and it can energize people because they're like, yeah, that's what Walt Disney wanted. That's what Walt Disney wanted. When really maybe like I think probably Walt Disney just wanted a lot of money after a while. He really wanted his company to be very successful. Um, well, and certainly after he made all that money, I'm pretty sure he just wanted to keep making that money. Yeah. Well, and follow up question: Who cares what Walt Disney wanted? Like he's very <laughs> dead. Yeah. Yes, that is also true. Like it's not, you know, maybe he is spinning in his grave about what's going on at Disney. Um, you know, it's certainly plausible that like uh, customers are not going to like it, but I guarantee you, uh, the CEO of Disney does not uh, shed a tear over uh, whether or not they're representing Walt Disney's no. interests. Well, and if he is spinning, they should just hook his body up to a generator. I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I, I think, like, but, like, that that sort of speaks to this whole thing where, like, you can, you can go back and memorialize historical figures to then justify or, or sort of, like, mobilize very, very toothless critique of what's going on in the current moment. So, like... I think if you were to argue something about like Stan, like a Marvel comic or something, and be like, "Yeah, like the thing I hate about um, the movies is that they take out, like they don't take seriously Tony Stark's alcoholism or something." I don't know. Maybe they do. I've not watched uh, an Iron Man past one, um, but they don't take seriously his alcoholism or like you know what I don't like about the Luke Cage show is I actually didn't watch the Luke Cage show, so I don't know. What I don't like about Jessica Jones is. Um, it, it is too glib about the the ramifications of, um, you know, the ability to take over people's minds. I don't think it is, but say someone said that mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like it, people aren't getting it like it, it. You need more detail. And someone would probably come to you and say, like, well, uh, Stan Lee wanted people to have like fun and think about their imaginations and, and uh, you know, really live their live their dreams and, and discover new things. So, like, maybe you should be OK with lowering the bar, the emotional bar to entry here, like that kind of justification of like, yeah, the person who made this thing really cares about it in this way that you just kind of stepped all over. I think that's used a lot in like imagine imagination based uh, um, industries to just completely keep the machine trucking along. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really excellent point. Uh, it's uh, you have talked a lot in your your show about uh, commodities. Yeah, uh, and uh, I mean both both intentionally and unintentionally. I'm afraid, yes. <laughs> but yes. Well, <laughs> uh, artistic commodities, which I I don't even know if that's a thing, but for the sake of argument, sure, no. 100% it is. Absolutely. One of the things that makes them unique is that you can you can sort of imbue them with the spirit of the creator in people's eyes. I mean, and I don't mean Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, like not not the capital C creator. Right. 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 Like I I mean like Stan Lee in this case. And I think it's a really interesting concept and I I wonder how long the good folks at Disney have been thinking about that very fact. Apparently, a very long time because this very oh, bizarre so. line of reasoning you're talking about is something that I've encountered again and again. And I don't pay a lot of attention to Disney. Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's 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 interesting. Like I think so. Art commodities are super are super fascinating to me because like you can. You basically have to value them one of two ways. You can't just value them monetarily, um, although that's always in the background. 
you could value them as a monetary object, of course, and in that case, you are valuing it based off of uh, scarcity, usually, or um, desirability as a piece of history. Um, so, of course, you'd have a reason to to valorize, you know, the creators. If you had like, if you had, you know, Captain America one, uh, Ali and Kirby, you'd you know, you'd say like, okay, I um, I really want there to become a a story about how um, this is like a super important object and part of our history as Americans and stuff, because then people are going to pay more for it. But then there's also like cultural value, which is like, you know, uh, um, someone gave me a uh, what is it? It's oh yeah, it's Captain America one eleven. Um, the the it's one of the Stranko covers because um, they had like eight lying around. It was a it was a strange. It was a collector uh, who I knew. It's like a friend of a friend, and like they were. I was like, oh wow, a Stranko cover, and he was like, oh, I got like eight of them if you want it. Um, which was cool. Yeah, and I have it up in my. I have it you know in my office. It's fun, but like. The the thing I could hope for is like, well, maybe pop art's going to hit uh, a kind of fever fever pitch and people are going to re-recognize Steranko. And then all of a sudden I'm going to have something that's not just worth putting in my home, but worth framing as a as an example of what um, what my discerning taste is and, and how like how how much I can like lean on my leisure and ability to you know figure out what is good art. Um, and that's cultural, uh, uh, capital. Like basically those are the two uses you could invest it and invest in it and sell it later, or you can use it as a way to, to show your bona fides and both instances. I think you're totally right. Like both instances, it's about, um, it's about like cashing in on the history of a thing. Yeah. Wow. What, a, what you know, and I just sort of did this to myself. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I've, I've sort of built a new podcast studio in my home because, like, I build shit. And nice. one of the things I did was I wanted to go out and find, like, a really cool desk. And yeah, of course. so my wife and I, we, we started antiquing, which is not something I recommend to the gen- general public. But we found this old, beat-up roll-top desk that we've been restoring. And it's like there's all sorts of little things in it. Like, um, I'll open drawers, and there'll be instructions on a drawer about how to submit things to uh, a group like AAA that doesn't exist anymore. And there's a billing address, which we figured out that was a courthouse in Indiana. And, like, there's all this shit. And, like, at the end of the day, while I'm really enjoying this and wouldn't trade it for anything it's it's really just cultural capital right well yeah and it's like there's a there's an innocent version of it where you're just like oh i just like discovering things but then like you put that desk out and you're i mean and this is no critique of you it would be anyone you're hoping someone asks you a question about it you're hoping someone's like hey cool desk what's that about yes like well let me tell you um it's not and like Ultimately, the the use value of the desk doesn't change, but the value comes into it because you're like, well, this is actually a piece of history. Like this has like all sorts of old stuff in it. Um, And it's weird to start thinking about it's weird. I I think like ultimately the thing we're struggling with here and struggling with is a good thing Mm -hmm. uh, in this case because we're working through it productively. I think they were struggling with is like these shows at once devalue what we have in terms of cultural capital. Um while also just like making new cultural capital for people to enjoy and creating profit. So it's a lot of give and take with no clear 
actual good outcome in it, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what's being created. I don't know what's being done. I I know that, like, the feeling of, like, being robbed is false and, and, and should be, like, worked against because, like, what does it matter? Sure. Um, you know, it doesn't – if someone likes the new Avengers movies, it doesn't change what I liked about the Avengers. Like, you know, whatever. But – I think the question of like what's being produced here or like what is being repeated and is this valuable and is it doing good stuff or bad stuff? Is this good for comics? Is it good for movies? I think all of those are like perfectly reasonable questions and ones that more people should probably be asking. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure what the answers are. I mean, I'm nowhere no, close I, yeah. to that. I, I think the I think this like list though is very like the, these lists that you showed me are very they're evocative in that way because like it it really is like a um, I don't know like it's it you're right it tells a story and like I think the DC ones tell an even longer story because you get like not just the 70s but you get the old uh, Supermans and the old Batmans and like the 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 short ones I mean, oh, obviously sure. the Adam West Batman but like the shorts <laughs> of the Adventures of Superman that they showed before films and stuff. And, like, it's just kind of like, man, there was, like, a long period of time where this stuff meant something totally different and was profitable. And you keep having these epical changes between, like, well, what does this stuff mean and who is it profitable for? And what does this stuff mean and who is it profitable for? And it's a little discouraging to sort of look at it and say, like, oh, yeah, um, it's always, it's never been about like making good stories. It's always been about making money. Yeah. Well, let me give you a good example on the DC one. Please. So, um, three and four in, you've got Shazam and the Secrets of Isis. And these two were in something, I think it was called the Power Hour, and it was like a Hanna-Barbera thing going on. It's amazing on. that you remember the Secrets of Isis as well. I was looking at that and I was like, man, I don't know anything about the Secrets of Isis. Oh. That is intense. Yeah, well, I mean, eventually what happened, uh, like, mega spoilers, guys, but, like, when when <laughs> when Isis dies, uh, <gasps> that that leads to the rise of Black Adam. Mm-hmm, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's like it all ties together in this vast lame web, but the the point is, like, all of this was, like, the around the Croft superpower hour with like J.R. Puffin stuff and any of that, I probably sound like a crazy <laughs> person right now. But th- no, no, we all we're, we're all I, I believe I believe more people are aware of like H.R. Puffin stuff, at least. OK, they got to be right. Like, I mean, that's a that's a classic. Yeah. OK, well, thank you. That's that's reassuring. But like all of that live action stuff was was targeted at kids. And so one of the reasons these these two shows were successful enough to last for more than one season is they didn't even bother trying to convince adults. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's like Scooby-Doo. It's like, what would what would it be if Scooby-Doo tried to be, like, prestige television? Oh, my God. So It would be deeply confusing. <laughs> <laughs> like, and can I make a point about that? Yeah, sure. It, okay, fundamentally, this show is about how everything has a rational explanation. <laughs> and you, except. except you have a talking dog solving crimes. And nobody remarks on that shit at all. That's the only thing that doesn't have a rational explanation. That's why the that's why the mystery machine is out there oh, yeah, chasing it's... down leads. Because <laughs> like they have to figure out what's going on with Scooby. <laughs> it's 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 too terrifying to 
So to leave up to a mystery. The, in one episode of the Venture Brothers, they had the mystery machine and everybody there, and the reason the dog talked was that Shaggy was a schizophrenic. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so so it was like you must kill Shaggy. And he's like, No, you know, and like that I buy, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like all these shows work on kid logic. All of these shows exist because of like because of kids wanting to watch them. Like it's it's a strange I think this is ultimately what it is. Like it's weird to have it's weird to have the stuff that we know is too young for us valorized and said like, "No, no, no. You could totally watch this stuff. Like go watch this stuff again." Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't I don't know, man. Like I think it's okay to sort of be like a little a little shady about watching stuff like this. Like I think maybe there's a healthy element to being like, yeah, I just uh I'm old I'm probably too old to watch this. Like I probably should probably should try something else. Like I you know, you know this- not that you have to watch something else, but like it might be time to try something else. Like, just give it a shot. This, like, maybe watch a hard movie. This happened to me last night. I started watching Invader Zim. And okay. I got about five minutes into an episode. And I'm like, look, okay, this is still a perfectly good show, and I'd love for kids to watch it. I'm done. I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, this isn't for me. Yeah. And, like, I think that's the thing. Like, especially with, the like, the, the extremely, like, you know, strident defenses of, like, well, I can I can watch these movies. These movies are for me. Like people are very serious about like what what is for them and what is not for them. Right. Right? Like people are just like super super convinced that like okay, yeah, like uh this Marvel movie is not just okay for me to watch, but in fact made for me. Like don't bring your kids to this Marvel movie, guys. Like I don't want to see any kids here. <laughs> It's like, man, but people really believe it. And that's just like, that's just kind of how it is for them. And that is very strange to me. And I think like the fact that studios have seen this and are like, oh, we can profit off of these idiots is uh, troubling to say the least. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we always police each other. I mean, I don't know whether that's as a species or as a culture or what, but I mean, anytime you see somebody in a situation that is not the expected, we immediately go into this this very creepy mode in interacting with people. Like, um, <laughs> next time you're in an elevator, turn your back to the door and stare at people and see how they react. I don't think I'm going to do that, but I, get, I take your point. Okay. <laughs> Have you done that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's this whole, uh, if you're bored sometime, Google Garfinkling. And there's a whole list of things you can do like that where there's a set of unspoken rules where if you violate them, people react like they you shit on their dog. Like they get really creeped out about it. Yeah, I can imagine. I think if you were in the elevator with me and you turned around to stare, I would leave at the next floor. Yes, and I, I think I think good gender decisions are important when you when you have this behavior because uh, yes, don't yeah, don't make any women feel uncomfortable. Yeah, not <laughs> That's okay. Not nice. uh, but it is kind of a crazy thing to think about how much, like how much that is something that you know. For instance, I count on in in being in an elevator that no one's going to turn around and look at me. Oh yeah. Um, and it's not like I'm doing anything that I 
need to not be looked at, but like, I don't want people to look at me in the elevator. I don't want to explain why. Like, I, I've no, I don't have an explanation, and I will not be furnishing one. Oh, yeah, yeah. But well, I, mean, I would hate for them to do it. Most of these unspoken rules have a value. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying mm-hmm, to imply mm-hmm. they're bad. I'm just saying that we, we don't examine them at all. Well, yeah, and if the, if we have the value, we don't really know what the value is, and like maybe maybe the unexa- maybe the lack of examination is one of the problems here. In that, like, you know, if you want to make an argument that like we should stop getting so wor- bent out of shape about like what's for kids and what's for adults and whatever, like, okay, fine, like, but make a case for it. Like, there there is actually a case to be made that like you should go ahead and try and watch like a a Tartakovsky film or like watch like a Samira um, uh, Makhmabov movie or something like that. Like there's, there are serious movies out there that will challenge you and, you know, be very hard uh, to deal with. And there are movies that will make you very happy. And I think if you're okay with saying like, I just want to watch stuff that makes me happy, that's fine. But being able to say, I watch the stuff that makes me happy because it's important art and everything I watch is important art there's something that's being lost there in terms of distinction, like personal distinction, not cultural distinction, like what is hard and serious and what is uh, easy and candy um, just seems like something that you should um, should care about. And, you know, like this this sort of conversation and I pretty much only have it with two people right now, and that's you and Connor. Uh, <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah, well, and you're in good company there, I think. I, I, I'm <laughs> uh, no, I, of course. pretty impressed Connor, with both. Connor's good. Well, well, thank you. Connor's a good sort. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, books, for example, I have, I have read an absurd number of books, and, like, easily 99% of them are science fiction books that I'm never going to meet another person who has read. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think that's okay. Like, I think it's okay to read, like, science fiction books that only, like, three people have read. Sure. I think it's, like, in fact, maybe even, like, a net good to keep those books in, like, circulation and, and, and out there for people to read and think about. But, like, I think it's okay. Like, I remember I listened to the audiobook of the first uh, Parker book, the Richard Stark uh, classic uh, serial um, series, and, like... Yeah, Parker inspired a lot of really good stuff. Uh, it's a super important book. Um, it is a very trashy novel, and it's not super well written. Like I like Richard. I like I like Richard Stark a lot. I think he's a good writer sure. uh, in his own way. Uh, I don't think he's like important to unpack. Let's say like I right. don't think you have to like sit down and, and write an essay on the Parker series. I don't think you have to sit down and write an essay on a lot of things. I liked The Expanse. I like listening to The Expanse, though. I don't think I would have liked uh, spending all my time reading The Expanse because I would have been a little annoyed that it was not, like, a little bit more snappily written, maybe. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, it's well, and the, it's stuff like that. The reverse you know, is like happening to me, too. Like, it, mm. because of what I've been doing with Connor, for example, like, I read The Underground Railroad. And I'm oh, that's a good book. Yeah, and I'm getting exposure. Like when when Connor says this is a good book, and you can feel the capital 
in the the mm-hmm. the G there. <laughs> I, Capital good. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I am. I'm getting a greater understanding of what he what he meant. And part of my problem is historically that the people who are determining what is a good book and what is a bad book that I I would encounter regularly, I didn't have any real respect for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like, and I think like that's actually like the the language you used there is not. Um, it, it's it's smart because like, it, and ultimately maybe this is the thing with um, with comics too. Like, it's not that that idea of like what's good and what's bad. Like, I think good and bad are um, not quite right as terms, and and not that you are wrong in using them because people use them all the time. But, like, I'm looking at these... I, I keep looking back, and I keep seeing new ones. Like, the 1990s Swamp Thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, like... It's not a show you need to go back to, probably. It's funny, and, like, it definitely was, like, enjoyable to watch. I remember, like, catching bits and pieces of it when I was at someone's house who had a satellite dish. Oh, sure. And I could get USA. But, like... It's not an important show by any means. I don't think you have to go back and watch all 72 episodes or even one. Like, you know, it's, it's fine. You're not missing anything. There's limited time in your life. Don't, you know, don't waste it on going through Swamp Thing. Unless you get a kick out of it. And then, you know, go ahead. Just understand what you're doing. Like, I think the distinction has to not be, like, good and bad. Like, it's not like that's bad, whereas, you know, oh, the, the Arrowverse stuff is good. You have to watch that. It's simply that, like... They're good in the same way, which is that they are very good escapism. They they grip you. They are fun to watch. They provide you with entertainment and maybe something to think about here and there. And that can be enough. Like, that's it, you know, and that's okay. Whereas it's, it's you know, it's not Tolstoy. And right. I think the mm-hmm. argument has started to become that, like, everything is Tolstoy. Like, everything can be Tolstoy. Everything you watch, everything you enjoy is, like, this super hard, difficult cultural object. Um, and that is, I don't know, maybe this outs me as some sort of elitist, no. but that's troubling to me. Honestly, I think that that is precisely the danger of my point of view. Like, mm-hmm. I I think that there's a lot of, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, cultural detritus. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, no, that's fine. That works. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of stuff like out there that, has, that is underappreciated and has value. And I get a great deal of enjoyment about like sifting through and finding those things. Like if you ever want someone to recommend you something in science fiction, I don't know anyone better at that than me. I've spent my whole life training <laughs> for that. But right. no, of course. is that the be all and end all? By no means. I mean, sure, there are science fiction books of quality, but if that's the only pond you're ever going to be in, you are going to miss a lot of things. Yeah, and I think, like, I think the honesty of... um and I'll let you go after after this because I I also will stop making sense in a minute or two <laughs> as I get tired. I, um, I love the also there. Okay, Pete, you're gibbering, yeah, oh. so we're gonna wrap it up. <laughs> no, no, I think like you're 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 doing great. I will be the one gibbering um, and being just a complete mess. Uh, I can feel it coming on, but like you know, I think the value of people who liked comics when they weren't popular, and there's a lot of bad things about comic fans. I'm not saying the comic fans are any less toxic than, like, video game fans. Like, this is, like, you know, these fandoms have their problems. Yes. Um, And they, you know, and they're the ones you'd guess. But 
the one good thing about comic book fans of the past is that you'd never find them trying to make the case that they are not missing out, right? Like, I think if you ask someone, like, well, why are you reading Spider-Man instead of reading, like, a serious book? Like, why aren't you reading, you know, uh, why aren't you trying to get through Wuthering Heights? Or why aren't you trying to, like, you know, read good contemporary fiction? Like, you know, if I cornered someone and they were reading, you know, like, a, a Invincible Iron Man instead of uh, William Gaddis's J.R., um, and they're like, why, you know, what do you think you're doing? You're wasting your time. Why don't you do push-ups pretty, while you read? Yeah, like, I think, I, <laughs> like, I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Charles Atlas taught me about this. Um, but, like, I, they would just say, because I don't care. Like, I want to read this instead. I, I, I like this stuff. I like learning. I like making Star Trek spaceships. I like, you know, I like drawing that on graph paper. I like, I like playing D&D. Like, this is just the stuff I like, and it's, yeah, whatever. It's dumb or it's not dumb. It's they would never make the argument that it was like secretly smart. And now you have people like you know Movie Bob or whatever making uh, twenty thread tweets about or twenty three twenty three threads about like how secretly uh, the Marvel movies are the smartest uh, political commentary of the last forty five years. And that shifting is what's a bummer to me. Like. You miss out if you want to miss out. I don't care. Like, right. I don't do some stuff that would be edifying to me. I don't exercise. Like, I should exercise. I get that it's bad. Yet I'm just not going to do it. And, like, if you just don't want to read, just say you don't want to read. You don't have to make up an excuse that the stuff you're watching at the movies is actually secret reading. Like, that's that's the problem to me. Yeah, it's... I It, it is a trend that I see on Twitter more and more. And I mean, it's everywhere. Like, once everyone got obsessed with the concept of gaslighting, they wanted to, like, from there, everyone... Oh, everything became gaslighting, yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's let's create our own alternate realities wherever we go. And so, right, so there's, right. there's always someone pushing the idea that whatever thing that is considered standard is, in fact... The opposite of that, and like in every single take, and uh, like honestly, I try and identify those people as quickly as possible and mute them. Like I haven't seen Movie Bob <laughs> in a year, and it has been great, man. That's pretty good. It's impressive that you were able to like to to cut him out of your life that easily. Oh yeah, not that he was in your life before, but oh like, yeah, he kept showing up know. to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, movie Bob. I don't want to hear about it. This is like, Pete, I have another idea about the Avengers. Oh, God. Could you? It's like shows up, hands me my paper, and just starts babbling. I mean, ugh. Okay. This- he'd, be a, he'd be a rough neighbor. Let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. Movie Bob counts as one of the roughest uh, Twitter-verse neighbors you could possibly have. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, quite honestly, I don't want any of my neighbors to know I have a Twitter account. I, you know, I, yeah, I don't want anyone in the world to know I have a Twitter account. Are you kidding? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that's probably a good place to leave it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. So, um, Pete, tell people where they can find you. Uh, I keep I keep accidentally adding Wandel, which is no longer your at. Yes, uh, it is at Podside Pete, right? Yes, uh, uh, Podside Pete is me. And then we have a, uh, a separate Twitter account for our uh, podcast, and that is just Podside the letter P. 
And uh, you're welcome to go yep. to either one. And check them out on, on any uh, good podcast app. And you have a Patreon. Yes. Yes. Uh, Podside Picnic on Patreon. Uh, yeah. T- check it out. We, we'd love to have And a you. Discord. Yes. Well, like. There's everything. You were so organized, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I just. I, this is all off the top of my head. I just. I just. I'm just a. Uh, I'm a podcast picnic uh, booster. Well, it's appreciated, man. It's like, yeah. like I, like we have said jokingly and also sincerely. There's no way we would have gotten this project started without <laughs> you, and I'm pretty grateful. Well, I am glad to hear it. Uh, I'm grateful that you are doing it, uh, Pete. A pleasure as always. Let's not uh, wait so long next time. Absolutely, man. All right, talk soon.